We are Carly and Nicole, lifelong friends for 20 years, mothers, mental health and wellness advocates. Here we will share real, honest stories and conversations together and with others. We invite you to join us in finding the light despite all the darkness. Hi friends, welcome to the first official episode of Finding the Light podcast. So I am Nicole and uh, Carly is my co-host and today we are diving into Carly's story and um, it's quite quite the story. She has been through so much in her lifetime and I am just so proud of all she has you know, fought through and is continuing to fight through. Her story is definitely not over. Um, I'm just so proud of the person, the person that you are, and you're the strongest person that I know by far. So take us back to the, where it all started, um, when it comes to your, your story of illness and chronic illness. Yeah. So a huge part of my story is I've suffered chronic illness for over 11 years now. So the first 16 years of my life were pretty normal life. I grew up in a small town with Nicole. We went to school. Normal teenagers. Yeah, (laughs) we just, nothing. I had a great, a great childhood. And when I was 17, it all started with me puking and getting sick. It was, it almost like one day I woke up with like a stomach flu or something. Little did I know that was the start of a very long battle with multiple illnesses. To this day, I am still not definitively diagnosed. It's been that I think for me, that's one of the hardest parts is still not really knowing exactly what's wrong. Because when you don't know what it is, it's scary to not have a name to the face, if that makes sense. So it started, yeah, as me, we were grade 12. I had just turned 17 a few months prior. And I got sick one day. And I think the first time it lasted about 10 days. I was unable to like keep any fluids down, any food. I ended up in the hospital getting IV. At about day 10, it kind of all just went away. And I thought, okay, back to normal life. Yeah. I think that was right around your 18th birthday too. Right. I remember. Yeah. But unfortunately, it did not just go away. Mm -hmm. It was a very cyclical illness in the beginning. I would be fine for weeks. And then it would come back and I just would be so sick. I wasn't able to do anything. I remember in those days, I would sleep probably like 15 hours a day just to function. And I'm in grade 12. That's Mm. supposed to be everyone's funnest year. I I had plans of graduating and going to Grant McEwen to become a nurse. I, I had all these goals and dreams. And my life did not go at all the way I thought it would. But I have had a pretty great life despite all the struggles. And I think it's made me who I am today. 
So what happened? Like what happened after that, that you couldn't, you couldn't go to post-secondary. It was just physically impossible. So that August, I decided not to go to university because I thought I knew it would be a waste of money because I physically couldn't handle it at the time. I also tried to work a few jobs. I worked at a daycare for about a month and then got very sick and ended up back in the hospital and had to quit that job as well. So I was stuck in this in-between period of time where I didn't know what my life was going to look like. I had always pictured going to school and having a job and I just pictured my future a lot different than the way it went. On my 18th birthday, we went out with my friends and Kevin and we had a couple drinks and I wanted to, of course, get drunk and have fun like everyone else on their 18th birthday. But I got so sick and I could not stop puking. I was in so much pain. Kevin was laying on the hotel bathroom floor with me as I cried And in that moment, I realized that my life was going to be a lot different than I pictured. And I kind of accepted it at that point. A few months later, we got engaged. And there's nothing I was more sure of in my life than that I wanted to marry Kevin, even though it happened a lot sooner than I was expecting. After I, between the time I got engaged and got married, I had a laparoscopic surgery to check for endometriosis. So it was a minor surgery where they do a couple incisions and put cameras in to try to find, see if anything is wrong. They did not find anything. The doctor, after that surgery, left a note with the nurse saying they didn't find any endometriosis or any, everything looked great. This was hard for me because I so desperately wanted answers and I didn't get them. And I felt very defeated and lost but my wedding was a few months away so I focused on that and tried to move on in life we got married in Mexico with 80 of our friends and it was such a fun amazing time after our wedding I really wanted to have a baby something one of my like my instincts just told me if I wanted to have kids we should try now like it was not now or never but I just had such a strong feeling that I wanted to start trying for a baby. We are so, so blessed that we got pregnant on our honeymoon that second week in Mexico, and it was kind of a shock to us, but it was what was meant to be. Nicole came with me to the doctor to confirm my pregnancy, and I remember the doctor looking at us. (laughs) We're two (laughs) 19-year-olds. Yeah, and she was like, is this a good thing? And I'm really grateful that you were there that day because I think in my head, I was so scared of what people were going to think. And you were just so much like, oh, of course it is. Like, I'm going to be an auntie. And it just made me that much more excited. I was really nervous to tell a lot of other people because I knew they would think like, wow, what's the rush? And we had people say it out loud. Like, "What? Are, why are you rushing to have a baby? But it was just one of those moments in my life that, it made sense. And even though I was scared, I knew everything would be okay. And that's just the path my life was meant to take. So I had Jace right after I turned 20. I turned 20 like six weeks before he was born. Something I want to add is Carly has always been very, very mature. 
So she wasn't your typical 19 year old. She wasn't your typical 20 year old. She was always, she showed a maturity level way above and beyond that. Uh, Younger than me, but people always, like she just was mature beyond her years. So for a lot of us, like even though it it seemed soon maybe that you were getting married and having a baby, like you were, you were also already like in that mindset, I feel like. And that was just what you were meant to you were meant to be a mom and it didn't really matter that you were 20 because age doesn't matter. And you weren't, you didn't seem like a 20 year old, if that makes sense. Yeah. I guess I was at a stage of life where I was married and we were financially able to support a kid and we had bought a house and yeah, just because most 19, 20 year olds don't do that. I do think I was ready Mm -hmm. and the world gave me what I needed at the time. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, we had Jace and my during my whole pregnancy I felt amazing I always say he cured me so they thought it was something hormonal right yeah because I felt great during that pregnancy and even in between having kids my kids are two years apart I felt pretty good I would have random episodes of pain or puking here and there but I would say in general I was fairly stable I got pregnant with my second son Landon when Jace was about 18 months during this time, we lived in Edson at first, and then when Jace was around a year, it was another one of those things. I just really wanted to move back to closer to our hometown and be near my friends and family again. And we did, and then we got pregnant with our second. And he <laughs> did not ruin me, but I was very sick my second pregnancy, especially at the end. I ended up having HG and was actually, I had it at the beginning and, and you, Nicole took me for IV. I think I was around eight weeks to the hospital because I needed to make sure I was hydrated. The end of that pregnancy, I was in and out of the hospital probably every two to three, max three days, just because I had to make sure my baby was safe. They really closely monitored me And everything went well. The second he was born, I felt great again. So we knew at this point things were hormonal or kind of hormonal triggered. And my husband thought I was crazy because when we left the hospital with Landon, he was like 12 hours old. And I was like, oh, I feel great. Like I would for sure do that again. He's like, are you kidding me? Like, look what you just went through. But I think that's what having kids does oh, yeah. too. You, and not everyone, right, when they leave the hospital wants another one. You have some adrenaline though. Right? Yeah, I think yeah. I was still in the high of like welcoming a baby into the world. Yeah. For, I would say the first year of Landon's life too, I felt pretty good. You were working out all the time. Yeah, I exactly. I was actually in the best shape of my life when Landon was like four months old. I remember getting photos done. And I found them the other day and I was like, wow, I was in like amazing shape. That's pretty impressive. And I am proud that my body like recovered so well from that pregnancy and that I was able to start working out and taking care of my body. And it did hold out for about a year. And then I started having symptoms again. I remember at one point, one of the first attacks again, I was laying on my kitchen floor and I had a two, well, two and a half year old and the Landon was probably close to a year and it was scary. I was like, Oh my God, this, what is this? Like, is this going to make a comeback? How am I supposed to do this? 
But every time I've thought that in life, <laughs> I've found a way. I don't know how. I guess you don't have a choice, especially being a mom. I just powered through. At this point, we ended up moving to Rocky Mountain House for my husband's job. To be honest, this was devastating for me. I did not want to move at all. But I knew it was just one of those things in life that we had to do. Moving there was very isolating. Kevin worked all the time, like 30 days straight and would have a day or two off. And I missed home a lot. So I would say I spent like half of my time driving back and forth and coming to visit my family and friends. And my illness kept coming back and more frequently than I wanted it to. At this point, it was probably once a month I'd be really bad. So I went back to my doctor again and she's like, I don't know what else it could be. So I saw I had a second surgery, exploratory surgery. And at this point, I don't think they gave me any news until my follow-up at six weeks, but I knew they did something because the recovery from that surgery compared to the first where they literally looked around and didn't like do anything was, it was so much harder. And at my post-op appointment, he did say he found endometriosis and they um, did ablation and burnt it off. And he said, I should feel better within a few weeks. So I held out and I was like, okay. In my head, I always questioned a lot of it because when you don't have answers from doctors, it's very, very hard to not question your own sanity, especially when doctors are like, well, are you sure you're not just stressed? Do you have anxiety? And I didn't. And if you do those, I am 100% know those can cause physical symptoms and stress, extra stress is not going to help anyone's body. But I knew that that wasn't my root cause of it all. So when he said he found endo, I felt like I had an answer finally. I was like, thank God, even though there's no cure for it. Just to have some clarity. Yeah, it felt really good. But I was not feeling any better. I would say that surgery, I felt a lot worse after it. I ended up having way more symptoms. I had really bad back pain all of a sudden. And my family doctor basically put me on strict bed rest for two weeks with two kids. So I remember those days sitting in my bed with my two kids, watching way too much TV and trying my best just to let my body heal. It, I don't know what happened after that. I think I somewhat got back to a place of being good sometimes and not good other times. We moved again. Mm-hmm. It was typical. It seems like every year and a half we move. We moved to Sullivan Lake at this point because my husband took a different job, but still in that area of Alberta. We live in Alberta, Canada. I don't know if anyone listening lives elsewhere, but <laughs> <laughs> maybe one day. So we moved there. And you loved it. And I loved it. I did. We love visiting. Okay, so, sorry, I'm rambling. You'll get used to that. Um, A few weeks before we moved, I went back to my specialist, and I said, like, I am not any better. If anything, I am worse. And I almost felt like a failure at that point. 
And he even said, well, it should have helped for longer. I was 25. And he told me the only way to cure me was to get a hysterectomy. I was pretty desperate. And then I was faced with this choice of, do I want more kids or do I go through with the surgery that's going to cure me? We, I really wanted, I've always wanted four kids, but I really wanted a third. And my husband was a little bit, didn't know what he wanted. We had a third. No, we didn't have a third. I got pregnant a third time and very shortly after Miss Carrie, which is a story for another day. But after that, in my head, again, I was like, there's going to be a moment of clarity when I know one way or the other if I want the surgery. And we were in Hawaii a month after. It was a month after I miscarried. And at that point, I was still, I had this dream in my head that I'd take a pregnancy test in Hawaii and I'd be pregnant. But I was sitting by the pool one of the first days we were there and the pain got bad really fast. And I just knew I was about to get my period and I wasn't pregnant. And I looked at my husband, Kevin, and I just cried and I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to phone the doctor. I'm going to get the surgery. I need my life back. I have two kids that need me and I need to be able to take care of them and enjoy life. So I... A few months after that trip, I had a hysterectomy. This was... How did it feel to have a hysterectomy at 25? It was really a lot. So many of the nurses looked at me and like, wow, why are you having one? Like, you're so young. And I'm like, I've tried everything and nothing's helping. And I have my two kids. And I think that made them feel better a little bit. They're like, oh, I'm glad you got to have kids. And I am forever grateful for that. And you can look back and know that that intuition telling you to have children was exactly right. Exactly. Like, I don't get that really strong intuition often. I think it's probably happened four times in my life. One was telling me to get married. The second one telling me to have kids. Mm-hmm. In my heart, I don't really... I don't know if I really thought through a hysterectomy because I'm 25 and I'm just desperate for relief. Mm -hmm. I think that's mostly why I did it. So I got it done. The recovery, I actually, after surgery, recovered at Nicole's house. Mm -hmm. I came here that night and spent about five days here. The day three was horrible. I knocked on Nicole's bedroom door and... I don't even know what if I was like coherent. She brought me to the hospital to the door. Yeah, I had been puking all night. The pain was so intense, and I kind of felt defeated. But I knew I was still in the recovery phase. I gave myself a whole six weeks this time, Mm -hmm. and tried to let my body heal. It. People always ask, "Did the hysterectomy help?" I don't really know how to answer that. I would say for about nine months it improved some things but about yeah nine to ten months later I started having pain again and all the symptoms I don't know if I ever felt like such a failure in life I know I didn't fail but when 
a doctor puts so much hopes on a surgery and everyone else is like, yeah, do it. That's going to cure you. I almost felt the ex- expectation from the doctor and everyone in my life. Like, oh, you did it. You should be cured now. But through support groups that I had joined, I knew a hysterectomy is really not a cure at all. Mm-hmm. But I was stuck in this place of like, now what? And I would say I'm kind of still in that place today. But anytime I felt so defeated and like, how am I supposed to live through this? Somehow I have. And I've always been good at, if you want to say, finding the light. I've always had a positive outlook, no matter the darkest moments in my life. If anyone asked how I'm doing for so long, I would just say pretty good or okay. I I don't think I ever said bad Mm -hmm. because I knew things could be worse. And while there is something called like being too positive or putting that pressure on yourself, I would say genuinely, I just like to stay in a, like a happy mindset. That doesn't mean I don't have my moments of like, this is really hard and I don't know how to do this and have, I've had my fair share of breakdowns and not knowing how I'll survive this amount of pain. But in general, I have become a more compassionate person. I've really felt a pull to like advocate for mental health and physical health Mm -hmm. in all aspects. Everyone's always said to me, I'm good at giving advice. I don't really know if I'm good at giving advice or if I've just taken what I've lived through and been able, I'm just a good listener. I would say the best listener. People always are like, how do you know what to say? And like, I guess I just think to myself, what would I want someone to say to me in those moments? Mm -hmm. And most of the time you just want someone to validate you Yeah, and say, it's okay. If you're struggling, you don't have to be happy all the time. Any problem. And I fully believe this to this day If it's a problem for you, it's a problem. You can't compare your problem to someone else's problem or even your problem to your problems in the past. If you feel like it is causing you struggles or hardships in life, then validate that and feel that. But I like to not stay stuck in that place. So you kind of have to go through it to get to the other side, you can't ignore it forever. But I like to feel it. And I finally went to counseling. In back then, I was very nervous about going to counseling because so many doctors insinuated that it was just in my head. So I I just kind of felt like a personal attack. Which by the way, if you've ever been around Carly when she's been in pain, you can 100% tell like she's very good at handling it. But you can tell that it is not in her head. It is 100% real. Anyone who has been around her knows that. Her husband, her mom, you know, like they know. We know. Yeah, so I just had to, I've went, I've been to depths of pain that I wouldn't wish on like the worst person in the world. And I've had moments of like, why is this my life? This is not fair. And 
I believe I remember having this conversation with you, Nicole. You were, you said someone asked you if I have therapists or go to counseling. And that was the first time I really considered it. And you right away said, not because anyone thinks you're crazy or it's not in your head, but that is a lot to live through on your own. And I was like, you're right. I do not have to be ashamed of going to talking to someone about this because it doesn't only play a physical toll, it plays a huge emotional toll on you too. Absolutely. So I really strongly advocate for counseling or whatever you need to get through the hard times. Don't be ashamed to ask for help from a professional, from a friend, from your family, and in any way that may look. And just a little input here, counseling, therapy, whatever, doesn't need to just be in the bad times either. Exactly. Anyone can benefit from therapy. Yeah. And don't feel the stigma. Mm -hmm. I feel like growing up, it was very stigmatizing only people who are crazy or depressed there wasn't enough knowledge about it so I think that's why for so long I didn't want to go to it but I strongly believe counseling should be way more affordable and accessible because every single human would benefit from it absolutely it has helped me get through some really dark times and It was through my counseling, she finally let me realize it is okay when I need to ask for help. I've dealt with so much mom guilt when I had to call people because I couldn't take care of my kids on my own. I felt so much shame around that. But it's not my fault. And sometimes life is just not fair. Mm -hmm. So here I am, year 11, after four surgeries. Okay, sorry, back up a little bit. Things progressively got worse, like, within, after the year, after my hysterectomy. I got to a point where I had to move back from Sylvan Lake to Stony Plain because I knew I needed help from my loved ones. And I am so blessed to have the people in my life that I do. And this whole time, I was in hospitals I try to avoid the hospital unless I have to go and if you have to go that's completely fine but at this time all the doctors blamed everything on endometriosis and if you have endometriosis I 100% empathize it is a horrible disease and I have a lot of friends who suffer from it but none of the meds for it worked for me they only made me sicker and caused more problems. So I finally sought out a third opinion from a third gynecologist who was actually specialized in it. And February of 2021 this year, he's like, let's go in one more time, look around and see if it's growing everywhere. Like doctors are saying, because they were blaming every symptom on that, all the puking, all the pain. Even I was started having allergic reactions to everything. So I had that surgery and I went in with so much hope. I was like, okay, this doctor, it's called excision. It's where they cut out, like, instead of just burning the top off, they cut it all out. They describe it like picking the head of a dandelion off or cutting out the roots. So I went into this 
so hopeful. I'm like, okay, this is finally what I need. I'm going to get back on track with my life. And I was with my older sister the morning before my surgery. And I confessed to her. I said, my biggest fear is they're going to go in and say I do not have endometriosis. But I laughed that off. Like I said that out loud. I'm like, there's 0% chance that will happen. Like I have not gone through all of this in my life to start all over. I woke up in the midst of surgery feeling like I was going to die because I was choking on my intubation tube. I came out of anesthesia before they thought, and I, I only remember hearing the voices saying, it's okay, we'll take it out, we'll take it out, and they put me back to sleep right away. The second thing I remember is hearing nurses talk and saying, oh, 28-year-old 20, female just had a laparoscopy to check for endometriosis, and they didn't find anything. And at, when I heard them say this, it was before my eyes were even open. Like, I was just coming out. I have never felt so defeated and like, how can I survive this? I've never had that much of an overwhelming feeling of defeat as I did in that moment. And I, they, they sent the doctor up to talk to me. And this is probably one of the first times I have stood up for myself. I always just blindly accepted what doctor said. And he said, oh, we didn't find anything. It looks great. And I just started bawling. This was in the midst of COVID. So no one was allowed with me. I was in recovery room all by myself. And they they just looked at me like I was nuts, to be honest. Like I was crying and I was like, okay, it's not that, but what's the next steps? And they they looked at me and said, I have no idea. Like that's out of my specialty. So I like put my hands on my eyes and was just bawling. And then when I... Like, probably for maybe 10 seconds, I looked up. The doctors had left the room while I was crying. Didn't even, like, give me the dignity to finish the conversation. Just, they didn't, they got so awkward, they just left. And then, so I was all alone now. That's terrible. And I was like, just, I need to go home. They called my husband. He picked me up. I was in a very dark mindset at this point. He was trying to help me into the car. And I was like, I could do it myself. They didn't even do anything. Like that was all for nothing. That weekend, I cried and cried and felt so depressed and so like had no hope. But after those three days, I knew I wasn't ready to give up. I wanted to keep fighting and find answers for myself. 2021 in general has been so hard on my body that surgery kind of triggered a lot of things to happen now i have non-epileptic episodes but they're basically seizures and we don't know the cause i have really bad heart pain i'm really weak i'm hardly able to eat i am struggling to be honest i if someone would have told me last year even that this is what my life would come to in 2021 I think I would have had a complete mental breakdown I would have said there's no way I could handle all of that but if this year's taught me anything is that I am so much stronger than I know and that I can lean on my support for help when I'm not strong enough 
or when when I need that break and need that extra help with my kids or my house or whatever else living in that chronically ill body is very challenging but this is who I am and I try to just do my best at all times doctors here in Canada have kind of they all agree that there's something really wrong or multiple things wrong but no one knows what it is so we're I kind of threw my hands up to the universe or whatever's out there and said just guide me where I'm meant to go because I need help my body cannot continue on this path alone I met a girl on Instagram who had a very similar story to me and who was very is very sick as well and she lives in Texas she has great doctors there and it's just opened my eyes to the different doctors in the world and testing capabilities and stuff so we kind of we've always thought of moving abroad for Kevin's work if we could so we just made the decision to apply for some jobs in the U.S. particularly Texas and I really didn't think anything was going to happen of it but I was like if it's meant to be it'll be I truly just gave up all decisions to the world and said, like, please lead me to something better than this. I am a fighter and I can fight this, but I do need help along the way. I need guidance from medical professionals. I need to be on meds to stabilize me because I can't keep having seizures almost daily. I can't live in this much pain, especially with the unknowns and just I keep declining no matter what I try so Kevin got offered a job and we are moving to Dallas very soon so here we are in nine days moving so basically you've exhausted all your options in Canada that's what it comes down to you're you're hopeful that they'll be able to diagnose you and give you some more care than you can get here. Yeah, that's kind of it. And we knew that wasn't possible without Kevin getting a job. Right. And we're not going there solely for to help me. Because if I went without a job and without moving there, there's no way it'd be like millions of dollars. So I just left it up to the universe. I'm like, okay, if it's meant to be, show me where my life's meant to go. And this is where the path is leading us. And I am hopeful to just see different doctors who can have different specialties and just there's just different testing and every capabilities down there and I know each medical system has its flaws but I am truly just trusting the world at this point as scary as it is moving to a different country I strongly in my heart it is one of those times just like getting married and just like having my kids that I know this is the right decision. But that doesn't mean it hasn't been hard. Exactly. I'm scared too. Like a lot of people have had their doubts about this move and I completely understand. But I'm at a point where I'm pretty desperate and I just know it's meant to be. Whatever becomes of this, it will better our lives in some way. I am trying to strongly believe and I do have hope for that. I remember when she first told me and I was like, what? Like, isn't that going to be so expensive? Because we have totally different systems of healthcare, right? But they're going to have very good medical insurance through through Kevin's work. Um, 
but she, every question I had, she had an answer. Like she'd already looked into it. And it's not like she was just one day decided that she was going to do this and didn't, you know, take all the steps and do all of the research and talk to all the people. So she had a plan for everything that I was worried about that maybe she was already worried about and already mm-hmm. thought of, right? Like it wasn't just, no. No, it wasn't just a spur of the moment plan. We, it did take a lot of planning and a lot of research. I talked to a lot of people, both who live in the United States and Canada, who are sick and have dealt with the systems. I talked to our families. Everyone expressed their concerns and we researched the answers together. So it did take a lot of planning, but I think it's all figured out for now. Thank you for listening to my story. It was a long one. Chronic illness has shaped my life in so many ways, but I don't let it define me. I try to stay positive and hopeful, even in the hardest times. And you do. And that is something that you are so good at. You never hole up and, you know, say, I'm just going to go to bed and sleep forever. Like you easily could and like you should in some circumstances, but you continue to leave live life, right? You continue to be there for your children. You make dinner, you get out and explore and do things with your kids. And you're an amazing mother and an amazing wife and an amazing friend. And you, you don't let this define how you live your life. Thank you. I really do try my best. And that is the biggest lesson I've learned throughout my life. I'm only 28 and I do have a lot of life left to live. And all I can do is my best. And some days that means I get a lot accomplished. Some days that means I lay in bed all day. I do my very best to listen to what my body and my mind need and to just follow, take care of myself as best I can. Something I I admire so much about you is no matter what you're going through, you are always there for others. Always there. And you never make, like, sometimes I feel silly coming to you with the things that I'm going through because I know you're going through so much but you never make me feel silly. You always make me feel heard and validated and seen. And I'm just so grateful for you. Thanks. I'm grateful for you too. I do enjoy talking to other people and being that person they can confide in. It's something that I'm really passionate about. And that's why I wanted to podcast, Mm -hmm. share my story. And hopefully this resonates with some of you guys who are listening. Thank you so much for listening to Finding the Light. Make sure to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And follow us on Instagram at Finding the Light, a podcast.